0: And I feel like when I, when I like boiled down what my goal was and what I thought my purpose was, it was always to empower women and men to get ugly and embrace the harder parts of life and to just dare to fail in a huge way and to step outside of their comfort zone and to just embrace life for the beauty of it and for the just tragic, horrible things that happen to us and figure out how to, how to live with both.
1: That was Kelly Roberts, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 78. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. As you might have noticed, this show isn't released every week like most other podcasts. Instead, full eight-episode seasons go live on the first of the month every other month, and in each season you'll get to meet a wide range of interesting and refreshingly imperfect people who join me for one reason only, to share the truth of what's really going on in their lives, and to talk about things that we think don't get talked about openly and honestly enough. That means deep conversations about work-life balance, body image, shame, fear, relationships of all types, sex, social media, religion, mental health, racism, parenting, self-improvement, goal setting, and more. And of course, since this is an adult podcast that covers adult topics, you can expect to hear adult language from time to time. So consider this your little warning on that. Let's see, what else do I want to tell you about this show? Basically, I just want you to know that no one's trying to sell you anything. No one's forcing their agenda down your throat. No one is trying to get you to fix yourself. No one's preaching a so called perfect six step life hack plan for anything. Which, thank goodness, right? Because I'm so over that type of stuff. Instead, my hope is that each episode of this show makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want to know that I'm not alone. Which is why this podcast is more than a podcast. It's a community. And you won't hear any ads or any sponsors or any other kind of outside influence. The show is actually hundred percent listener funded. And each new episode is made possible by people just like you who have pledged $8 per eight episode season to do this. We use a platform called Patreon and not only does your support cover the costs of producing the show and ensure that it can keep going throughout the year, but it also earns you access to over 30 hours of exclusive bonus content and a super fun community. You'll get extra episodes with favorite past guests, people like Kate Grace, Kathleen Shannon, Alexandra Franzen, and Carrot Quinn, just to name a few, with new bonus episodes added every month. You'll also get end of month reflection episodes directly from me where I go into detail about my successes, failures, goals and lessons learned each and every month. You'll get my popular weekly email series Notes of Grit and Grace in your inbox each Friday if you want that. You'll be able to join our fun casual monthly book club if that's your thing and you'll just have lots of cool opportunities to help shape the future of the show. So for all of that, just go to patreoncom Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per season. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Your support is what will enable the show to continue. And if you're in the position to be able to help fund the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. Plus, it's going to be so much fun for us to be able to get to know each other behind the scenes in our community. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Kelly Roberts. Kelly is a force in the body positivity movement, and you might know her from her popular blog and podcast, both called Run Selfie Repeat, or you might know her from her recent sports bra squad initiative, encouraging women to ditch their shirts and be proud and confident of their bodies. As a runner who used to hate running, Kelly has experienced her fair share of body image struggles. In 2009, her younger brother unexpectedly passed away, and while struggling to manage her grief, she gained more than 75 pounds. With that weight gain came insecurities and a new fight to regain her sense of self. Then one holiday morning, in an attempt to cope with her brother's absence and manage her grief and anxiety, she decided to go for a run. She didn't even reach the end of the block before she had to stop and walk, which is something that I can totally relate to with my own beginnings as a runner. But even that first experience gave her a sense of ease and clarity that she hadn't felt since his passing. Through running, Kelly has found a way to remind herself that even during the hardest times, as long as you can put one foot in front of the other, anything is possible. Kelly has even been named by Women's Running Magazine as one of 20 women who are changing the sport. And in this episode, she and I talk all about running, how we got into it after a lifetime of not being athletic, how we approach goal setting, what we do when things get hard, and so much more. Kelly shares her struggles with imposter syndrome, how she aims to fail better, and why her race mantra is to get ugly. We discuss pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, the value of having impossible goals, and why we need to define success and strength for ourselves. Kelly also talks about the business of being a blogger and an online influencer. She shares where her money comes from, how she works with sponsors, and what her boundaries and intentions are with social media. This was such a fun conversation, and whether you're a runner or not, I bet you'll get a lot from Kelly's energy and attitude. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. Awesome. Let's do it. Kelly, welcome to the show. Woo! Woo! Let's have our little woo moment. That probably like <laughs> broke whatever audio decibel things that we just had. This is amazing. Um, I'm super pumped to talk to you. I'm so happy to be here. Tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. My mom. <laughs> oh my God, that's the best answer. Say more about that. I, I I'm I'm in
0: uh, the West Coast for winter, and I'm I used to be not like this. I used to be like I couldn't get away fast enough, but now. All I want to do is be home and be with my mom and dad and hang out with them as much as possible. I just got back from a trip from Miami and I was like, I missed you, mom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's. That's funny, this is not, I mean, I guess I don't know what I thought you were going to say, but it it definitely wasn't this. I've been thinking a lot, let's just go really heavy really fast, I've been thinking a lot about death lately, and Um, like my parents, you know, parents, that kind of stuff, and um, I don't know why, for whatever reason, in the last couple months, it's just like I'm constantly thinking, like nothing happened, there was no kind of nothing preempted it. I'd just been thinking a lot about that. And part of when my husband and I moved to Bend, you know, really the big downside was we don't have any family here. Right. Like my family, my parents live in Southern California. The rest of my family basically lives in New York. His family lives in Boise. And so we were kind of like, well, there's nowhere that we can pick that everyone is anyway. Right. So we kind of had this conversation around and around. And I've been thinking lately, like how much I just want to spend more time with my parents and that that really is the bummer of like having chosen to move away.
0: Yeah. My brother, he passed away. His birthday was on Monday and I wasn't with them. So I was like, mommy, like I want to be with you. So now that I'm home, like she had to go to work today and I'm like, oh, are you sure you don't want to call in sick and hang out with me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel like your relationship? I mean, you mentioned that your mom is what you're obsessed with. So with your mom specifically has changed as you've become like an adult.
0: My mom has always been my idol. Like I was never a kid who was embarrassed of my mom cuz my mom is wild, wild and wacky and hilarious. She's a she's a special ed teacher and an artist. So she's like she growing up my mom made the most fun home environment. Like it was just constant like she tore up our carpet and painted the concrete so that we could like rollerblade and skateboard in the house. And she was just Everything was always so creative and she totally was always a yes mom. Like anytime I did theater or anything, she she threw us into everything and said like I want you to go 100% and just like have fun and and fail and do everything that makes you happy. So she I mean as an adult, I think I appreciate that more now because I'm doing something that I think most parents would be like maybe you should get a job that has security. But my parents are always
1: like, we're very scared for you, but also so proud. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that funny? I think about that, too. My parents, neither of my parents graduated college. And so they were always like really big into education, education. And, you know, you have to go to college. You have to do this, which I did. Right. Like I went through that whole process was kind of like brainwashed into must go to best school possible. must be in debt for it forever. You know, that's a whole other story. But since then, I've chosen very non-traditional. Like I've never had what I would consider a normal job, basically, meaning you like go to a place where you work for somebody else for like nine to five or this, or like all year round, it's either been seasonal stuff or self-employment or weird cobbled together things. And I, I was really fearful that because of kind of the, I don't know, the emphasis that they place on education and maybe some of the more traditional success that they would be disappointed, but same as what you shared too. They're like, all right, I guess I don't, I don't know what to tell my friends. I don't understand what you do at all. Like what is a podcast, but okay. (laughs) I
0: really appreciate it. It's, it's crazy because li- me and my sister and I both live in New York. And I know it kills my mom and dad because that we're not around. But luckily, like we both travel for work. So we're home every two or three months. But she would never, ever, ever be like, move home because I really miss you. She would. She's always the first one when we're like, maybe I should move home. She's like, no, you need to stay there. You need to try harder. <laughs> yeah. You need to figure this out. You can figure this out. Whatever we can do, we will. But like, they- we grew up really poor. So they've never really been able to financially help us. So but oddly enough, like the emotional support of you can figure this out was infinitely more helpful in the long run.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, So you mentioned traveling for work. When someone asks you, what do you do? What's your response? What do you say?
0: I tell them I'm a circus clown.
1: <laughs> Stop it. That's, Do you really? That's amazing. I stole
0: that from my friend Brogan Graham who started November Project. And I was like, because he, I mean, in a way he's doing the same thing I'm doing. So I'm like, that—that that is perfect, Brogan. Because we're both, we both have these really motivating, inspiring lives. But at the same time, like we're the first ones to go after a fun adventure and go for experience over six. Like we, I think we define success differently than a lot of people. So circus clown just seems like a right fit because it's so gross like the whole influencing world which I guess would be my proper title blogger and influencer because I, I just it's never been what I want to do like I don't want to sit here and hawk products I just want to talk about stuff that I love like luckily my sponsors like I love my sponsors and I'm obsessed with them so my stars have aligned but I call myself
1: a circus clown. so funny okay um so <laughs> two questions first when you said that you think you define success differently from other people how do you define it
0: For me, I mean, I went, I got my undergrad in theater. I've always, I've always been a storyteller and someone who just wants to look at the world for what it is and and hear different stories and experiences. So for me, living outside of your comfort zone is how I define success, you know, how what did I do today? What did I do for other people today? That's success. Like I, money makes life easier. I would be stoked if someone knocked on my door and said, we want to give you $100,000. <laughs> but for me, I've never been driven by a paycheck or a title or or any of that. I've, I want to help people and uh, give people hope and laugh.
1: Yeah, I think that kind of not being particularly motivated by money is an interesting thing because I mean, Obviously, being able to say that, of course, money matters, right? Like we need yes. money. We need to be able to buy I will buy be the first, to, first to acknowledge that health insurance and rent are big. <laughs> totally. But it's because I'm the same way as you. And so it's basically like after those things are covered, like uh, evaluating opportunities just a you know x thing could make me more money or whatever that's never enough for me to get excited about it which it's funny because I have friends for whom that's not the case and I don't think that one's bad and one's good but it's like there's something that's really freeing about being honest with yourself about what your motivations are like I've turned down really lucrative things because I'm like that eh, it's not enough of a reason right for me to do it so same yeah
0: Um, I I feel like your soul is so important and, and feeding it will give you longevity
1: yeah, totally. I mean, and I think it's just like an alignment issue. If you really do like get yeah. excited about hustling and making money and do it, that's awesome. Like, then yeah. don't hold yourself back from that because of like this weird cultural story that money is shameful or, you know, like there's stories everywhere. So, yeah, just that like honesty piece, you know, and valuing experiences, like you said. So, I mean, obviously, I can tell you don't love the, t- the title influencer, right, or anything, but no, I hate it. I despise it.
0: It makes me feel dirty.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, so that's interesting. Let's talk about that. But I think anytime I talk, to someone who has like a less traditional job, right? People's questions are always, okay, but how do you actually make money? Like, where does the money come from? So will you kind of talk about like what the like job part of your job is? Like what that looks like? Yeah,
0: it's hard. I mean, it's hard because people in our industry will still ask me what my real job is. And I'll like, I remember one time we were at this I'm not going to name drop because that would be rude. But I was at this event this this weekend for a half marathon with a big publication, and the editor in chief. We went to get drinks with two of my a friend of mine, and we all went out to get drinks. And he was like, "So Kelly, what's your real job?" And I was like, "You you you paid for me to be here.
1: <laughs> you know that, right?"
0: this is my job. What do
1: you mean? Totally. Oh, no, no. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that it's not a real job. I meant like the no, no. Yeah. The kind of behind the scenes, like how does it actually work? Like what do like people give you money for what? Like I think people are interested in like transparency behind like job titles that they don't really understand, if that makes sense. Totally. So I I
0: kind of figured out early on that I, I I'm not going to be doing this forever. I think this will evolve into something else. So I made a conscious choice not to, to go Case by case, and influence, and and you know, talk about fit tea and stuff. So I really tried to craft uh, partnerships. So I'll choose a big, a big thing that I'll do for three or four months, and then I'll approach brands and try to sell myself. So I'll say, for this amount of money, I think you would be a great partner for these reasons. Here are my analytics. You know, I get this many impressions. I have this many, you know, engagement. All this stuff, and then together we'll kind of form a almost a not an activation, but a campaign. So that's how I got by. And then this year I'm sponsored. I got like full sponsorships. So it's not about going after something. It's not a campaign. I just have brands who I believe in and who believe in me. And we work together. So I mean, I'm not a sponsored athlete, but in a way it's the same. So Wazelle is a partner of mine. So they pay my bills and I love them and align with them and together we're we're just selling what it means to be a strong woman and then uh, I just I just today signed with Strava
1: which I'm really excited about Hey congrats that's exciting Thank you. I love them. So I'm very excited. I mean, those are both awesome brands. Obviously, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a big fan of Wazelle and have had you know plenty of Wazelle runners and stuff on the show. I'm so. obsessed with them. Obsessed. What is it about what they do that you feel like is a good fit for you and your values?
0: I think it's really hard to find brands who really believe in what they sell I think everyone's going after women and women empowerment right now, but no one's actually fighting for them. And when I look at Sally, everything she does, she eats, sleeps, and breathes feminism and women empowerment and and redefining what it means to be a strong, powerful, successful woman in our culture. And it's so much more than clothing for them. I mean, just today, Sally posted a post about uh, like feminism and the and the female power suit that just totally spoke to me and like how she's saying goodbye to heels because they're uncomfortable and because they stand for you know looking a certain way and because they're 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 just i i I mean i kind of agree they're not they're not pro women (laughs) if you know in new york city if someone tries to jump me i can't get away in heels i don't wear heels ever that was a decision I. i made two years ago Yeah, because they're uncomfortable
1: when you. Yeah. And again, it's one of these things, right? Like if it brings you joy to wear heels, like go for it. I have no business telling anyone else how to live their life. But I find them so uncomfortable. I work from home and I've worked from home forever. I get like a real person dressed like maybe twice a week. And that means wearing like my non sweaty wazelle clothes over my (laughs) like the things that are dirty. And I'm like, what do I have these heels for? I'm literally never going to wear them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think for a long time heels for me were
0: something I wore to try to be someone that I wasn't like I would try to wear them at work or or going to an event but yeah like I just I spent the entire experience that I should have been having fun uncomfortable so for me, they don't work. But I mean, I know for a lot of women, they make them feel powerful. So go, girl.
1: Yeah, I mean, but again, I think this is where like the nuance is important because it's so easy to even this thing of like, you know, throwing out your heels or whatever, like to take that as like some kind of rallying cry that, oh, I'm a bad feminist or I'm a bad woman if I yeah language. No. which like none of that's true. Like all of these things are so much more, I think, nuanced sometimes than like marketing positions or whatever want us to believe. So I agree. I mean, the thing, well, I mean, I like a lot of stuff about Wazelle, but one of the things that I remember was during last year during the election. I mean, they definitely took a stand, right? And like not in this like really overblown way, but it was very clear, you know, where they stood. And there was a lot of, I remember reading through the like insane comment section of one Instagram post in particular, and people were saying, you know, you're a business, you shouldn't get political, you're going to lose this amount of business or whatever. And I don't know, like for me, it struck me as I believe the complete opposite. Like, no, I want businesses and every, like people to stand up for what it is they believe. in. if they believe something different than me, then that's great. I can take my money somewhere else, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's actually how we started talking was
0: because we were both pretty loud during the election or not loud, but firm. We both weren't afraid to speak up, which was crazy because a lot of bloggers didn't. None of the bloggers did, actually. I'll say that which I, t- I get, it's hard. It was a very difficult thing to, to talk about because no one was talking policy. Everyone was talking emotion, mm-hmm. emotionally about what was happening. And for me, I, I was living in New York with my, with my aunt and uncle at the time who were huge Hillary fundraisers and they were very involved in the, in the election. And one of my friends, Steph, she was actually the CTO of the Hillary campaign. So I was like heavily in it with everyone and like surrounded by it. So for me to hear people knock Hillary not for what she stood for, but because of what she'd been through for, for very few things, it was very difficult for me to to not stand up for it and to not say like I'm not okay with a man calling another woman a pig or other things like that. Like I think you can you can stand for a different candidate and still say, Hey, I'm disappointed in, in that. That's mm-hmm. not okay.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's important not i idolizing someone. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, so this brings up an interesting question for me especially given, you know, like you said you have sponsorships and you've had brand partnerships and like obviously social media and what you put out on the internet is a huge part of that. How do you think about like social media use for yourself. Like how do you decide what to post, what to share? Like do you have any kind of I don't know if rules is too strong of a word, but rules or guidelines or boundaries or like things that guide how you engage with that?
0: I think my theater background is is very helpful because I try not to post stuff without knowing what I want to say or having an objective because that that's a huge thing in theater. You know, you always have an objective. You know what, how you want your audience to feel. You know what you want your audience to take away from something. So I'd say almost everything's really crafted. I mean, granted, some of the stuff is like silly and funny and it's just its just to show a side of me that I don't take myself too seriously or that I'm not afraid to get ugly. Things like that. But for the most part, like i I do think it's important to tell a story with the stuff I do because that's my job.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So, I I mean, and I love, the reason that I love talking about social media is because I feel like it's really just a stand-in for talking about a lot of other things, like how we think about presenting ourselves to other people, like what we want our message to be, our legacy. You know, there's lots of different things I think that could fall under just like the bucket of social media. And it sounds like you really are intentional about it. And I think that's refreshing to hear because I think one of my biggest pet peeves and I hate to be gender specific, but I do think it's something that women do a lot of something that I've done a lot in the past is like, just pretend that everything's like effortless, right? Or like, oh, oh this just yeah. happens to me or, oh, this just like, I just happened to post this like beautiful, like, oh, whoopsie. Like there's just, and I hate that because I'm like, no, it takes like thought to, you know, if you want to build like a really strong brand, like what you have. So to hear you say like, no, no, I really think about at it and I work on
0: oh, it. Yeah. I love that. Oh yeah. I I I mean people people always make fun of me cuz I'll be in a corner on my phone a lot before I post something important. And they'll be like, "Oh, you've been working on the caption for like 30 minutes. It's not that important." And I'll like sometimes look at them and be like, "You know what? Actually, like this is this is important because I'm about to talk about a cornerstone of my brand, and I'm about to t- tell a part of myself that I tie a lot of shame to. So I really want to make sure that I'm I'm getting the point across in the most authentic way possible and that I'm not holding back. And then also that my words are what I want to say because this stuff lives forever. Like I don't I don't get I don't get a redo. I'm defined by by my social media in a way. So I I I hate when people curate their Instagram that doesn't sh- that isn't balanced, that doesn't show the struggle, that doesn't show how hard it is sometimes to just get through a day because I mean my life has been really, really, really hard and for a long time I was kind of led to believe that that was something to be kind of ashamed of and to like strive to be better than, which today like I know is total and complete BS and that's just a part of me, it doesn't define me, it's just a chapter in my story and it's not something I should at all tie any shame to, it's just something that I should talk about because so many other people are going through it. So I try to be super open about everything. But in a but in a thoughtful way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that means, I don't. I think about this a lot because I mean, obviously, the name Real Talk Radio, right? Like just this idea of real talk and honesty. Like that's clearly, you know, probably my biggest biggest value it's really important to me and just, that means that everything that I share is honest but it also it doesn't mean that you can share everything like no matter how much you try everyone that's only knows you through the internet essentially like is only getting a small part of right so yeah. like, I, I think about that more on the flip side like as a consumer of social media right that someone can be being honest but we never know the whole truth of anything no. and like that's fine like I I think that this I don't know I try to be careful with this kind of like authenticity fetish I feel like that's going around right that it's mm-hmm. like it's almost like another form of one-upmanship like look at me like I'm so much more authentic than you or what like yeah you know. totally
0: I think it's a personal journey I think I think it's really 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 hard to be a hundred percent authentic and I also I, I I'm not someone who dumps everything online there's still parts of parts of me and what I've gone through that I have not shared like the bigger parts and then there's also parts that aren't exactly my story they're, they're I was uh bystanders to it and unless the other person gives me the okay like i i'm not sharing it it's it's not fair so in a way i authentic really means for me just posting the stuff that maybe you wouldn't always post because social media isn't it's like reality television it's not real <laughs> it's real to an extent
1: yeah and just being aware that everything's curated in some way and that also that's oh, fine yeah. right that it's like this kind of uh, i don't know rampage against like, you can't just post pretty things. I mean, some people that I follow, it's because, yeah, just like I like pretty pictures of sunsets. That's nice. Like, show me that thing. Right. So I think it's also just being kind of mindful as a consumer, too, of what you said. It's true, but it's like reality TV. It's not all it's not the whole story ever.
0: I was I did an episode on this on social media and authenticity, and I my sister was blowing up my phone during it. And I for some reason was like, all right, I'm just going to answer. And she's a social media manager. That's her job. And uh, and I asked her, I'm like, Sam, because she's very opposite of me. Her Instagram is very curated, very beautiful. It's her job. So that's how she gets clients in a way. So I asked her, I'm like, well, what, what do you think? Like, you you know, I'm very open about a lot of stuff. And she was like, well, we're very different. And I think for a lot of people, they're afraid that it'll show them as weak. And I I think of it the opposite way. And so does she. But at the same time, I get where she's, what she's saying. Not for everyone, like they can't air everything out. It's just, it doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of it, yeah, to your point has to do with how you make a living, right? That there are, I thought about this, I mean, I've gone through a lot of kind of iterations in my own self-employment to kind of land where I am now. And, you know, I did kind of goal setting and accountability coaching for three, three and a half years, which was wonderful. I worked with great clients and it was so fun. But part of the reason that I decided to wrap up that business had to do with like this very issue that, you know, we want to work with people that are real, right? Like I'm not going to hire someone that's like this robot seeming person who's like life is perfect, right? Like I want them to be real and to be open, but to a point, like if they're going through some like, terrible breakdown or some like thing like that it definitely colors how I feel getting on the phone with them for a coaching call or something right so like there were a couple of times where I felt like oh I can't be as honest as I want to be because I'm afraid that that's going to mean that I don't make money or don't whatever and that was kind of the decision point for me of oh I care about honest story sharing more than I care about this business so it's time to make a change but not everyone feels that way and that's totally fine
0: yeah yeah I I think I think the hardest part about our existence is not lumping everyone together and understanding that all the different experiences that we all go through are valid, and not lumping everyone into like everyone that should be authentic. Right. <laughs> down with down with social media, you know. But I think there is also something to be said for challenging that idea, for telling people like, "Hey, the next time you see a, a running down picture of yourself, where you look and you have that thought of like, oh." I can't believe I look like that. Instead of having that thought, they like, "Hell yeah, remember that time I ran a half marathon?" <laughs> like, it's it post that picture. See what happens. You can always delete it. <laughs>
1: right, 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 right. So the last kind of social media thing that I'm curious about for you having a like big, big platform audience, you know, whatever you want to call it, how do you handle negative comments or criticism that come with putting yourself out there so openly? Because I have no good answer for this myself. I don't think there is one.
0: I, again, this comes from my theater background, we very early on in college got the probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in my life, and that's how to take constructive criticism, and we were taught when critiquing someone else to say what worked and why or what didn't work and why, so that taught me if someone wants to tell you something that will make you better or to make you stronger or to give you a different point of view, they will frame it in a way that is, that is constructive. If someone tells you they like you or they don't like you, like don't worry about it. That they're not. That's not a helpful gauge. So for me, like when someone knocks me, it hurts. I will never. I will be the first to admit that I will. I want to be liked. (laughs) It's just I, I. Everyone wants to be liked. Everyone wants to be validated. Everyone wants to have value. So if someone says something mean about me, I was actually. I'm right. Working on another episode, and I was going through some of the things I've written about this exact topic today. And I came across something I wrote and I took a screenshot of a woman who in response to a piece I wrote on grief, (laughs) grief, she wrote, oh, this woman's so obnoxious. And I was like, oh, what? I can't believe I forgot that this happened. And at first, like my first initial instinct was like, ouch, what a horrible thing to say. But then I was like, you know what? That's a reflection on her. If someone feels like it's appropriate to write this woman's so obnoxious when I'm talking about my grief, you know, that's unfortunate for her. That's sad. That's mm-hmm. not a reflection on me, but also not everyone's going to like you. <laughs> not everyone. Not everyone's going to like stand for what you stand for. Not everyone's going to be able to to stomach your your voice. I was talking with one of my one of my best friends yesterday because I wrote a piece on uh, shaming cheaters. It was the, the most like simple piece in the world. It was ten sentences pretty much. But I don't I don't like when there's a cheater that gets unearthed, the crazy witch hunt and that goes on and how it gets to the point where people are like making racial slurs and stuff. And I think it's a very like teeny tiny percentage of the running community that does it online in message boards and comment sections and whatever. But then there was, I posted that and then there was a response to that, that someone kind of knocked me for a couple years ago. I, I, I uh, bought a bib when I was a brand new runner and I was like, all right, this is very silly and it's a tiny publication. I'm not going to get upset about it. But then I saw that that two of my teammates in November Project liked it, liked the article on the person's thing. And I was like, ouch, mm-hmm. that really hurts. These are, I mean, I'm not friends with these people, but they're my teammates. And November Project is all about like embracing everyone. You don't have to be friends with everyone, but you're glad everyone is there. That's just the November Project way. And I was like, this is hurtful. So I texted my best friend. And we got in a big conversation about this, how my brand is me. And she was like, that's not true. <laughs> and she was trying to, she, we went back and forth and it was just the most enlightening conversation I've had about this because she gave me so much that I haven't thought about before. And a lot of it I didn't agree with, but it was, I think I will come to agree with it. And it was about like, it was about being liked and uh, detaching from that and not letting that bother me and, and just Speaking to my voice, but always listening you know if someone if someone doesn't agree with me, why that's valid
1: yeah, I think it's it's a particularly thorny thing to go through when you have a personal brand right like it's not to say I mean criticisms you know people are mean to you that's never fun but if you're making jewelry right let's say and like the criticism or the whatever is about I mean of course it's still a thing that you made but it feels different when like there's so or there seems to be so little separation between like you as a person I mean I'm speaking from experience I don't know if I'm projecting onto you but um, like you as a person and also, like what your brand is. Right. That's it's funny. I in in like iterations of things that I have wrapped up. I for years, um, a former coach um, and I ran like a beginner's half marathon training program for people like me who started as like literal complete beginners, which I know you did, too. We'll get into that. Um, and I wound up wrapping that up during a time when i personally took a break from running like i kind of felt like oh my gosh running has become such my brand that what happens if i stop running that does that mean that i can't pay my bills anymore like i had this real like it was too close to home that the thing that was paying me money was also like i had to live my life a certain way otherwise they didn't and that just became a lot for me so i'm also curious if something like that has ever happened for you
0: yes cuz you know i i i've caught myself cuz in the last 2 months i've been making a joke that i'm in purgatory which at first was like a funny joke, but now that I keep making it, I'm like, okay, you need to look at this because you keep making this joke, and I think you believe it. <laughs> like I, I, had a kind of aha moment last night on the plane, <laughs> which where I have all of my, all of my biggest relevations. And uh, I was watching on YouTube. I was a part of this roundtable that my friends were doing for on uh, diversity in film. And I was watching it and I just started thinking and I'm like, how did I get to this place? I'm a voice in the running community. I was never athletic. I wouldn't say that I love running, but I also love running. It's just a hard, it's hard for me because I, this was never my life path. I was never athletic. I, I, I have a hard time feeling like I have a, I have a, I have a big imposter syndrome in, in this world because in a way I still don't feel like I belong here or that I earned my way to be here. Which is my own which is my own stuff. But but I, I go back and forth between like you wanted to be in theater and yet here you are and I never tried it. I never went after it. I never and, and today like I have I have this worth and I probably have more connections now than I did back then that if I wanted to ever get back into that world, like I could email three people and get in the door, which was what stopped me in the beginning. And yet I haven't because I, I, I really love what I'm doing. And I feel like at when I when I like boiled down what my goal was and what I thought my purpose was, it was always to empower women and men to get ugly and embrace the harder parts of life and to just dare to fail in a huge way and to step outside of their comfort zone and to just embrace life for the beauty of it and for the just tragic, horrible things that happen to us and figure out how to how to live with both. so. It's hard.
1: Yeah. I I mean, and you said, you know, right earlier on at the beginning um, that the things you're doing now are probably not forever, you know? And so I think yeah. there's something that's really freeing about, I don't know, not obsessing about this idea of like, what's my one life purpose? And I have to do this yeah. one thing forever as opposed to, I mean, like you said, that you know, mission that you just outlined, this is a form that it can take, but you could also achieve those goals. Like there's lots of ways to get from point A to point B, right? So I feel like at such point, if maybe it wasn't running anymore, or maybe it wasn't something else that like that goal could still be fulfilled through other like pivoting to other things.
0: Yeah. And I'm such a baby. I'm 27. Like for most people, like this is just the beginning. And I feel like the past four years have been the craziest four years of my life. Oh, that's not true. I think, I think in college that was the craziest and hopefully the craziest it will ever get. But, but it's just like, I, 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 I sometimes stop and be like, good Lord,
1: <laughs> what's going to happen in the next 40 years? Like this has been a crazy ride. So I want to go back in time a little bit. Tell me the story of how you got started as a runner, because you said a couple of times that you were never athletic, which I can relate to. I got started as a runner as an adult also against like very unlikely odds. So I'm curious yeah. to hear that story. I always say that I
0: was just desperate enough to start running because mm. everything just kind of fell apart in my life. I was like, a, not a year; I was a couple months out of college, and uh, two years, three, three years prior to that, my brother died. And after my brother died, I just gained a lot of weight. I didn't want to go outside. I didn't want to see anyone. And when someone dies, like people just feed you. And this is how awful. I mean, my self loathing with my weight and like letting that be a part of my identity goes way back. But I think it just kind of hit a pinnacle when my brother died that I kind of just totally fell apart. But I gained a lot of weight. Like, I don't even know how heavy I was at my heaviest. I know it was over 200 pounds. And I know I lost about over 75 pounds. But it took me a really long time to decide that I wanted to make a healthy lifestyle change and not that I wanted to lose weight. So, and thank God I had the help of professionals because this is something I probably should have had years and years and years prior But I had a therapist who was my hugest champion, and she was all about positive self-talk and learning to love the skin I was in regardless of where I was at and where I wanted to go, which is something that I still struggle with today, but I have the tools to work on it. But I mean, I ate clean, really redid my diet, hyper obsessed sometimes, but still struggle with that. But it took an entire year. I would go to the gym you know, it started on 20 minutes on a bike, went to 30 minutes on a bike, went to 30 minutes on an elliptical, 45 minutes on elliptical, an hour on an elliptical. I hate the gym. I still hate the gym. But I did that and then I graduated and I panicked and didn't, I was like, I don't want to go into a life in the, in the entertainment industry where people didn't judge me based on my art. They judged me based on my looks. Like I didn't, I didn't think I could handle it. So I moved home. I didn't know what to do so I was working as a receptionist. I didn't have any friends and then the guy I was kind of seeing was like I <laughs> he gave me the best reason to break up with me ever. He was like I'm going to hold you back. Like if we get in a relationship, you're going to want to stay here and you want to go to New York. Like we can't we can't be together. And I was like
1: Ugh,
0: at the time today I think it's the greatest. He's a great guy. And I thank him very much for doing that, but It was Thanksgiving and I was so sad with my life and where I was and I was gaining weight back because I'd go to work and then I'd go to the gym and then I'd come home and sit on the couch and watch Real Housewives and eat, which just like, I wasn't happy. And so I I wasn't sleeping, I hadn't slept in like three days. And so it was Thanksgiving and the sun was rising and I was like, I need to do, like I need to move. So I put my shoes on and I'm like, I'm gonna go for a run. I was crying and I like started running and I made it down the block. And had to walk, and I was like, "This is ridiculous. Like I go to the gym. How can I not run? But for some reason, I was like, "You know what, Just walk. So I walked, and then I ran a little bit, and then I walked, and I ran a little bit. and I think it took me like an hour and a half to go three miles. But uh, for some reason, I kept doing it, and it was horrible. And every couple of weeks, I'd quit and convince myself that I wasn't a runner, and it wasn't for me. But then I'd miss it. And so I'd start again. And then I ran a half marathon, and then I ran a marathon, and then I got the courage to move to New York. And, uh, went viral, and now I am, a am a voice in the running community. <laughs>
1: so, isn't it still, like, if someone would have come to you on that, you know, Thanksgiving, whatever, like, listen, this is your future, like, it's just, it always gives me a lot of comfort that the truth of the, of the matter that you just never know. You never know what's coming. No. You never know what's, go- like, I, I, you know, my... Mom used to say that, you know, I was more likely to sprout wings and fly to the moon than to ever run, (laughs) ever, like run a half marathon. Like I was, I mean, it seems like I was like you. I was never, ever an athletic kid. Like I was an indoor kid and I... I mean, like a lot of people, I, I like things that I'm good at and I'm not naturally good at that kind of stuff. So I just didn't do it. And my parents never really cared if I did. It, and I grew up in New York, actually, and in London. And so was in big cities and there were lots of other things to do, right? So it was never like a big deal that I wasn't this like super sporty, you know, and like always found ways to get out of stuff in PE, like in gym class and school. And same, it was just, I remember, yeah, I, for me, um, I mean, it sounds like running was really tied into grief for you and for me I quit drinking and started running on the same day like running for me was really like a way out of the hole of like everything and it was funny like I was nodding along when you were when you said something about um like that you were desperate enough to do it like just desperate enough to make it work like there is something to be said for like needing what do I want to say one of the I think complaints that I hear from new runners, which is totally valid and we can talk about this, is just about like how hard it is at the beginning. Like I literally could not oh. run for two minutes when I first started. Like you, like I went 100%. out and I, I mean, I couldn't make it around the block and I was like, well, okay, like I gotta start from somewhere. And uh, for me, I think the reason that I did stick with it was because I needed it to be hard because the fact that it was so hard meant that it was all consuming, meant that it pulled my focus away from like trying to get sober and like trying to basically quit this entire other life that I had. That there's like a perspective switch that happens when you can appreciate the fact that it's hard like it needs to be hard and it's not that hard forever but um there was something for me like that I really the fact that it was hard was the reason that it worked
0: totally there's so many different layers for me I mean on the one side like I think the pain that I felt knowing that there that for once in my life there was a pain that meant I was getting stronger really resonated with me And that really kept me going. And then on the other side, like running was so hard and painful that I couldn't think about anything else. Like I couldn't think about this guy who had rejected me. I couldn't think about how sad I was that I wasn't doing anything, that I was too afraid to take a chance on myself, all that. And then on the other hand, like it gave me something to feel really proud of. Because, so, I mean, when you graduate from college, everyone asks you, like, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do with your life? Oh, what are you doing? What are you working on? And I couldn't say anything. Like, I I didn't have anything to say, and that really killed me. Because I've always been someone who, like, I've always been a huge go-getter, shoot for the moon, do anything that's impossible. And then for a lot of people hearing that I wasn't doing anything, that was, watching their faces was really devastating, so when I could tell them, you know, like I'm I'm training to run a marathon, they would be like, what, what, like that? That was probably the the ballsiest thing I'd ever done, and I'd done some crazy things, you know. But for them, like that wouldn't they wouldn't bat an eye at towards the 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 crazier stuff that I'd done that because I wasn't a runner and everyone knew how not athletic I was for them. That was like, whoa,
1: totally. It was the same for me. I think, you know, one of the things that I get frustrated about, I mean, I think a a theme of this conversation is just the kind of like blanket one size fits all advice that like is not good advice for everyone. But I, you know, you hear all the time of, well, you can't do something for someone else. You have to just do it for yourself. And for me, I mean, yes, I was running because I wanted to run. But a big piece of it, if I'm being honest, was to be able to give a other people, something to focus on besides the fact that like, I didn't want to talk about the fact that I was quitting drinking. I was dealing with a lot of stuff. I didn't like, I want having, oh, I'm training for a half marathon. It was like this shiny thing. Like, look over here, talk about this thing. And like, that was like, I was doing it outwardly, not just for other people, but sort of like, and that's okay too. Like that this, this idea that there's like only one, like most pure type of motivation. And if you're not doing something for specifically that reason, then it's not worth, like, it's complicated, you know? You know that show Revenge Body that's out right now, and then the Mama June show
0: about getting revenge. Mm-mm. I there's two shows that are out right now. Chloe Kardashian has a show called Revenge Body, and then uh, the Honey Boo Boo's mom has a new show out called uh, I don't know what it's called, but she's also trying to lose a ton of weight to get revenge on her ex. And both those shows left a terrible taste in my mouth and really frustrated me. I watched like one episode of Revenge Body, and I haven't. I can't bring myself to watch the Mama June one, but I've read. I read articles about it. And on the one hand, I get it. I understand finding motivation and wanting to show someone that you're more than what they said you were. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think that's hollow and that's not going to last. Yeah, I agree. I too found that because you have, I mean, it's true. You have to do it for you. You have to know your worth and that you're doing it to for a stronger tomorrow, for a healthier tomorrow. Because I think, I think the biggest flaw in the health and fitness industry is is the whole like lose get healthy to lose weight go to the gym to lose weight whereas it should just be like working out can be fun just trying to do it for your health because I feel the best when I know I'm doing the most that those are the days that I can have you know five cookies and be like whatever (laughs) I ran for three hours today (laughs) I don't really care I feel great. I know I'm great. This doesn't define me. But you know, when I'm not working out, when I'm not being healthy, if I have five cookies, I sit there and I'm like, Oh, that was dumb and I hate myself. It's just a balance.
1: Yeah, I think I'm always so interested in talking about this idea of like motivation or what drives people, because for me, that's another one that I think you hear a lot about. Um, Well, like do this to be healthy, which I agree with you. Like, that's awesome. I wish that I made choices like that. That was enough of a motivating reason for me to do something. But there's something about the like nebulous, like health in the future. Like, yes, I don't want to get cancer. I don't want to die early. I don't like, of course I don't want those things, but I'm like, if I'm being the most honest, like that's not enough to like, it's winter right now, like to get me to get up and go run outside when it's 20 degrees and it's snowing. And it's like, which is why I race, which is why I train for races, right. That I had to be honest with myself. Like I have these friends that are just what I call Zen runners. Like they just run and they get joy from it and they don't have to be training for anything. And it's not about getting faster. And like, that's awesome. And I'm super jealous and wish I was that person. But for me, I know that I need like running and racing has it like provides structure for me. But I'm like, oh, wait, I actually do have to do this if I want to show up to this race and like have a decent like it's just I know that that there's no right or wrong answer. But I think it's it's interesting, like to be honest with yourself about what makes you feel strong. Me, too.
0: I mean, it's part of the reason that's part of the reason why I decided to try to qualify for Boston, because I was never, ever, 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 ever motivated by time in a way. I, in a, it, I think it's impossible to be a runner and not want to see what you're capable of. I think that's natural. But for the most part, I just kind of ran. I ran with faster people and started getting kind of faster. But then I caught myself really saying like, oh, I would never be able to take myself seriously enough to qualify for Boston or like that's really impossible. And I believed it and I was like, damn girl, like you need to look at that. Why not? Do it. See what happens. And it was <laughs> really, it's been a really hard year battling the self-doubt that I always, like every time I think I conquer the mountain, like I'm back at the bottom, but I am motive. I'm someone who's, who needs a very concrete finish line to work towards. Otherwise, like I won't work out. It's why I move West for the winter. Like I can't, I can't do, do winter running because I get, I found that I get like the winter depression, and after two winters of going through it, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I also want to be able to, like, really run my heart out during the winter time. And I don't think I can do it when it's cold. So I come here and, like, really kick my butt and work really hard towards this goal that – Is very elusive.
1: Yeah, listen, the winter running, the struggle is real. I will tell you, like it was basically like two months of treadmill. This would mean this is the most snow that they've had here in like since like '96. Anyone can do it. I just
0: take my hat off to you.
1: I, uh, I mean, I moved here from LA, so and that's where I started running. Like I became a runner in Southern California, so this has been like a rude awakening. (laughs) It's
0: hard. You know, it is really hard.
1: But again, this idea of motivation, like again, if I'm really honest, sometimes the thing that motivates me is I really enjoy like feeling smug not even against other people but there is something about like fuck yeah I ran outside in the snow uphill in the wind like what like bring it just there's something there that like 100% makes me there's a reason
0: like that joke you know how do you know someone ran a half marathon don't worry they'll tell
1: you I mean definitely and (laughs) okay so you mentioned um qualifying for boston So for someone who lit is listening and um, maybe is not a runner, or not in the running community and doesn't know what that means, like qualifying for Boston or what that takes, will you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, from what
0: I understand, this is a kind of a newer phenomenon that so many people are so driven to qualify for Boston. But in order to run that race, to, to, to get in you have to run a qualifying time they call it a bq and granted you could run for a charity but also those are hard to get those are spots that are that are pretty hard to get you have to apply and like you know get in but for me like my qualifying time is 3 hours and i think 35 minutes but but because so many people want to get in they start at the fastest time and then give x amount of spots so even if I ran a three thirty five, like I probably have to run a three thirty two to get into the race.
1: I know, isn't that crazy? It's like <laughs> over the last because I mean, that's my qualifying time too. I mean, and I'm like I've only run a couple of marathons and I'm like a million years away from that. But it, uh, <laughs> oh man, it's fast! It's so fast,
0: it's crazy. But it's been I'm gonna say it's fun now because I'm almost a year into it. The I mean, the first my first attempt was was just really hard. It was like. I've never I've never trained with like a serial every I've had training plans, but I kind of used them as guides and I would and I was constantly doing less or taking a day off and going to spin instead. So to have a coach and to have certain things that I had to do every single day, that's how I looked at it. I have to do this today. And it was only recently that I I got a sports psychologist and like really started to adopt the whole like no girl you get to do this you chose to do this like have fun that you, you get to try and fail and see what happens that that was something that I started to actually believe instead of just say yeah so it's become like. The whole point is just chasing an impossible, something that feels impossible, like I that I truly didn't believe that I would ever be able to do, and I didn't. Like I, I tried to do it in Chicago, and I ran three forty one, which I in what May, June, July, August, September, and in, in six months, I took my PR from three fifty nine to three forty one, which is a huge, giant PR. And like running a three hour and forty one minute marathon today still makes me raise my eyebrows and think like Holy moly, I can't believe I did that and i'm so proud of it like the whole this whole idea of no regrets no excuses was something that really drove me and towards the end like knowing that if i give 100% and when the doubt of like you can't do this you can't hold this pull back get comfortable this isn't worth it started when that started to happen to say no i'm doing this like yes i'm i i'm just going to see what happens and i'm going to give 100% and if it doesn't happen you know you walk away feeling like a champion because I had this huge PR and ran something that I that I would never have thought I would have been able to do. And I get another try. Now it's about, you know, getting stronger and continuing to see what happens. And I, I mean, I think if after London it doesn't happen again, like I'm going to take a break because I have so much to be proud of. And this has been it's been really fun. This this go about the second time has been really fun and I'm really enjoying it. So, I'm obsessed with everything are. you just said
1: um, <laughs> that there's so much i mean so specifically, I want to underscore what you were saying about kind of the value of seemingly impossible goals like i I mean, I couldn't agree more. There's something that's for me in order to stay engaged with a goal over the long term and that's something else that I want to talk to you about right because this this is not something that like you set a goal and then like two months later it happens <laughs> like yeah. this is something that's you know a much longer thing in order for me to stay engaged the goal ha- has to feel I don't know like crazy enough to be yeah. worth it which is funny because yeah. you know people always talk about well set realistic goals I mean so realistic as in I'm not sitting here being like I'm going to try to run a four minute mile I mean that's I mean, it's never literally never going to happen. But, you know, for me, the idea of being able to break six minutes in the mile, like that's a crazy, scary, impossible. Like, don't think like I think that it would be just on the edge of what I could do at my best, maybe on a really good day if everything aligned. Right. And so like those goals that sit right at like the outside of like it's basically the last possible stop on the train of like impossibility, right? That I'm like it's just before I wouldn't believe it. That's the only way that I'm going to stay engaged with something. 100 I'm with you. I
0: I always tell people like, yeah, set a realistic goal, but also like Set that realistic goal in the middle of your impossible one. Let that be a benchmark. Mm-hmm. Why not? Shoot for the moon. Land. L- don't get out of the atmosphere. At least you tried. In, I mean, in theater, I, I feel like so much of my life is based in this, but they, we always say feel better. You know, like go 100%, fall on your face, do it bigger the next time. Don't let these let trying and failing stop you from from going further because you are going to fail. You're gonna have so many more failures and you're gonna have successes. and we're really taught to like fear failure and to be embarrassed by it, to try not to be it. I read this incredible book. Oh, what was it called? The Code to Confidence. Oh, every woman should read it. It's an incredible read. But they talk about this too, how, Women really feel like they need to be perfect before they do something and apply themselves. It's why, you know, we don't raise our hand unless we know the answer. Whereas guys will just raise their hand and throw it out and then they'll do it again. They won't feel any shame. But women, like we we have to feel like we need we need to know what we're doing, we need to feel confident in what we're doing in order to do it. And and that's something that I've been trying to really challenge to ever since reading that book and ever since learning feel better. And it's hard. Like it I, it, I, it's for a second there. Like <laughs> in the middle of the Chicago marathon, not in the middle. We were probably at twenty four during the Chicago marathon, and some guy saw me and he goes, "Come on, Kelly, your bust. Like you can do it." And at that point, I knew it wasn't going to happen. And for a second, I like almost started to cry and was like, "Damn it, how embarrassing!" But then. But then, by some miraculous moment, some girl came up beside me and was like, hi, Kelly. Oh, my gosh. How's it going? Like, are you going to do it? And I was like, I don't think so. And she's like, that's okay. Uh, I th- I, I'm think i going for my BQ, and I think I got it. And, and, and she thanked me, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this moment in my life. And I started to cry, and I was like, I can't run and cry. <laughs> and... And it just brought it all into perspective, the whole feel better, like, no, be proud of trying. There's so much. And it's not about try and half-ass it. It's you have to try and go for it. You really have to apply yourself and do everything you can today to get to that place where when you finish, you have no regrets and no excuses.
1: Mm -hmm. Because
0: we're all in it together. I mean, you're not doing something alone. And really, like, what do you have to be ashamed of if you try to do something and fail?
1: Yeah, I think that that's something that isn't talked about enough, this idea that max effort or just effort in general has a ripple effect. Like there is something when you see someone else, and obviously we're talking about this in the context of running, but I think it could be true in any other arena of life. There is something about watching someone give their all that's incredibly emotional and impactful, right? So yes. it's, I think about that a lot. I also think, you know, with goal setting, and I'm definitely a big goal setter that for me, I mean, I know people say like, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And <laughs> I think that's that's true and also- What do I want to say? I think achieving something that you set out to achieve, especially if it is one of those like upper reaches impossible goals, like it's the best feeling. Right. So I don't want to say that that's not true. But what I'm most interested in with goals is setting a goal that in order to even come close to being able to achieve it, I have to become a better version of myself. Right. That I. Yeah. I mean, even what you said, going from a three fifty nine to a three forty one. I mean, there was definitely growth that had to happen. Like you have to get stronger. You have to get mentally tougher. You have to confront like all of your stuff right like I think about that for me like the excuses and the stories that I tell myself that are complete bullshit but are still like standing in the way regardless like setting goals that are going to basically force me to deal with myself is like those are the most worthwhile goals I have found
0: totally I think I think it's twofold I also agree I think the journey is very 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 important but you can't forget the end goal I'm just thinking about my 341 (laughs)
1: That's amazing. And that day. Oh God. But it's but it's almost like that's why you have to find it. There has to be a larger meaning, right? Because it would be so easy to run a 341 that's not a 335 and to be devastated, which it's it's, again, like we're complex, right? So you can run a 341 and you can be heartbroken that it wasn't a 345. And also you can, you know, give yourself whatever greeting period you need about a goal that wasn't met. And then to be like, wait, hang on. I just ran a huge PR. Like everything is more than just one emotion.
0: Yeah totally I think the, the craziest part was like having to, to do that on stage with people watching me and then like finish I, I think the best part about the marathon is that it kind of takes the BS filter off like you don't get to construct how you feel afterwards you're too exhausted to even try so I did a Facebook live and I I think it speaks volumes to how I was actually feeling at the moment like I really was stunned and amazed but then a couple days later not a couple days I would say like a little while later, like I did get disappointed and I was a little bit like, damn it. Like I could have done it a hundred percent. I believe I could have done it, but I needed to go through those moments in the course where I doubted myself and I was like, is this worth it? I don't know. This hurts a lot. Where are my friends? They're supposed to be here with me. Why isn't this easier? I, I mean, I had that thought. I still have that thought today. It drives me insane, but yeah, it's so complicated it's so much more complicated than no regrets, no excuses. I think that's a really nice button. But it's, it is so, com- I, think, I think it's so okay to feel disappointed in yourself when you miss something because it shows that you care, that you're invested. Yes. That it's just like fear. Like I think fear is such a, such a great thing. It should something that should be embraced and feared.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I couldn't agree with that more. I think something that's a huge pet peeve of mine is when people, and again, I think the things we're most frustrated about have something to do with ourselves, right? Like I see this in my past, that the inability to own your goals or to own the things that you really want to have happen, um, that it's because really the reason that we don't do that, we don't, like, this is what I want, this is what I'm going for, is because of that fear of, either feeling disappointed in ourselves or disappointing other people. But it's, I remember, I don't remember which episode it was, but when I, one of the times that I had Kate Grace on the show, we were talking about that. And just this idea that like, it's fine to be disappointed. Like you're not going to die if you're disappointed. Yeah. You can <laughs> go for something and completely like bomb out and have it be awful and be disappointed. Or you can have it go really well, but not quite as well as you want it. And you can be disappointed. Like it's this, this weird thing that we're like afraid to feel disappointed. Like you can be disappointed and like wallow and lay on the floor and eat some cake and watch Grey's Anatomy or do whatever <laughs> your like self care situation is, <laughs> and then you'll you'll be fine. Yeah, you just
0: brush yourself off and you and you keep going. I think I think the only time disappointment's bad is when you let it stop you from from trying again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know that, but then that turns into the fear of failure and letting that speak louder than than feel better.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned those points during the race of this is really hard. You know how do I you know whatever, do I want to back down? Do I want to, you know, that just kind of that self-talk something that I am really interested in and think about a lot and would love your take on is this idea that there's value in getting the best out of yourself, even if you'll never be the best, right? Like that. I think about this through moving to bend and just like random kind of series of coincidences, I have friends that are professional athletes, right? Like professional runners that like actually the best they can get out of themselves really might be like literally winning, right? Like when Kate went to the Olympics, I'm like, well, okay, that's amazing. But it's like when you see, it's almost like there's a kind of motivation that makes sense when you could actually win. But then how do you as just like an average runner, which I am, right? How do you kind of push yourself to get the best out of yourself, even if there's no... Comparative glory. Does that make sense? Yeah, I. I it's so funny that you say that because
0: this is something that I've actually been struggling with a lot. Is uh, I. I never know professional athletes or like who the pros are. I'll sit down for an interview a lot, and someone will ask me about someone, and I'll be like, I don't know who that is. Who's that? I know the big ones, but I've never been an athlete. I'm not an athletic person. I. When someone talks about their doubts. It's almost always in like an artistic sense. Like that's where I find my drive to push myself in running. But I have a really hard time relating to professional athletes. And I think that's where a lot of my imposter syndrome comes is I feel like I should and I feel like I should care more. And I, I think it's why I love, you know, like Lauren and, and Car- like Karim people. Like they talk about themselves as humans. And it's those women who get really vulnerable that I can be like, okay, I get it. Yes, yes, Okay. But for me, like I think it's such a personal experience, trying to get my best and bettering my best and trying to strive for a stronger tomorrow. That I sometimes feel like it, it I, the worlds are so different, even though they're the exact same thing, that I, I really struggle with that. But I think, I think that's the importance of an impossible goal. I think it's the importance of. Uh, Writing down where you're at today, and then trying to blow that out of the water and see what happens. Because I mean, who knows what'll happen? Like, what if in if London Marathon is my is my goal? Like, what happens? If, I always think about this. I'm like, girl, what happens if you run a 325? Will you want to keep going? Will you want to keep trying to get faster? Because God, I hope not. I hope that's kind of a button, <laughs> and then we go back to fun running. <laughs> yeah, this is really hard, really, really, really hard. Like my body always hurts, always. And on the one side, like it's so addictive, and this like, this the pain train is it, it really after after eight months, like it's become this weird thing that I just love, like I really crave it. And I'm not going to say I enjoy the pain, like I still like just on Tuesday, I totally had a panic meltdown about having to run seven minute forty five second miles for you know two two mile repeats, and I was like ah oh, ah oh, ah, oh. and it wasn't. I mean that wasn't a hard workout. That was that was kind of on the easier end of a tempo run for me so i it's weird like i don't i don't know why i freaked out about it so wow. I, I mean this is this has been the most like emotionally to- taxing experience <laughs> i hope i hope i kind of do this and be, feel validated enough <laughs> that i'm done yeah
1: i mean i think <laughs> It's interesting. It goes back to what we were talking about before that about the different sources of motivation, right? That like maybe if at the beginning what it takes to get you out the door is like, I'm gonna prove something to people or you know, it's more of an outward thing. Yeah. But and to, to the truth of your point that that's not enough forever. Like I was thinking about this. If I think back to my 5K PR, which was like one of my favorite races a couple of years ago. And there was like that moment when you know that you would just be less uncomfortable if you slowed down right like it's that it's and like being able to talk yourself through that and it was like that moment of no one I mean of course the people in my life that love me they want you know me to be proud of myself and they support whatever I want to do but like no one inherently cares no like with the marathon like if you run you know at this time or this time like it doesn't actually really matter. So it has to matter enough to you (laughs) that you're going to be like, I am not going to give up. Like there has to be like a sense of integrity or pride or like personal drive. And it's funny, like you can say that you have those things. (laughs) I learned this the hard way, but like when you're in the middle of the race and everything's the worst and like every part of your body is like, just slow down. Like, just like it, this doesn't matter. No one cares. So what if you finish 10 seconds or 20 seconds or 30 seconds slower or, you know, whatever it is, like there has to be some really strong core I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Me too. That's so funny. Yeah.
0: I literally thought about this my entire run yesterday <laughs> of like, why are you doing this? Yes, people care, but not really. You're not going to send a world record. Like you're you're actually going to run a time that may not get you into the race because so many people are faster <laughs> than you.
1: Right. <laughs> well, but I even mean, in that, it's almost like you have to be able to laugh and be like, this is absurd. This it entire is. thing that I dedicate so many hours of time to, like, because everything is like inherent, like sort of meaningless. You could say it that way, but it you. means something to you. And there's like, it, like for me, I look at it, it, provides some kind of anchor and some kind of foundation. And like, I'm just a better person. Like when I'm <laughs> committed to running, I don't know that just, it is what it is. I don't know how or why, but I do notice that there's some carryover, but this idea, something, Okay, what do I want to say? So when I think of goal setting, goals to me are things that are measurable, right? Like in the realm of running, you know, breaking a six minute mile. Like you, it's very easy to say you did this or you didn't do this. There's no ambiguity with goals versus intentions. Like I, I took a a year-and-a-half break off running, and so I'm just coming back to running now, essentially. And I ran my first race in, like, two years a couple weeks ago. And so I had goals, but my intention was just to basically, like, stay uncomfortable the whole time. Like, an intention is more, like, who you are in the race to me. And something that I've been really interested about, and you mentioned a couple of times this idea of, like, getting ugly, so I want to talk about that. Something I'm interested in is, like, I have this desire to... Almost like risk blowing up and not finishing a race, and I'm talking about like I'm interested in like five k's, like shorter distances, in order to see like how deep into the well I can go. Because I've always been concerned I that. with I want to finish, right? Or I want to, <sighs> but like, what <sighs> if? So like, you if, got to the place, you got to where, you where you're like, well, fuck, at. I have to lay down on the side of the road here. It's been oh my god, oh my, I've <laughs> never even thought of that. <laughs> like because that's the thing, like <sighs> I'm so conservative and I'm so afraid of pain, <sighs> and like so I ran god. this race and I was uncomfortable the whole time, but like manageably so, right? Like. I wasn't, but like, what does that look like (laughs) to be like? Well, it's been one point seven five miles, and someone has to come pick me up in their car. Literally, amazing! I don't know. That's that's
0: a campaign in and of itself. That's genius. That's
1: brilliant. I've been thinking about that. I mean, this is literally just like the last like week or so because I'm coming up in a couple weeks. I'm doing basically I'm doing another 5k and then I'm taking a week off it's the end of like what's been like a 17 week training cycle and I'm like well what's next like what's going to get me excited and I'm like hmm why don't I do a series of races of where I like try to die <laughs> it's like a
0: smart human experience
1: <laughs> so that's what's on my mind is I'm thinking cool. about doing a series of races where I'm like maybe I'm not even going to be able to finish this 5k <laughs> but you know what?
0: in a way like that's so smart because you, you really do find out like where what those limits are when you can push yourself further at certain points of the race because I feel like you don't learn how to run a smart race until you run the smart race like i didn't run a smart race until last year during the new york city half that was over 20 half marathons (laughs) over five marathons you know that i ran my first smart race and i was like oh wow (laughs) wait a minute i get it (laughs) i get what they mean by empty the tank and run conservatively and then get faster and then just like leave it all in the course oh wow this is very different but i love that like You you can't get to that place of learning how to run smart until you really know like where you can break at certain points in the race.
1: Yeah, and that's we'll see how that goes. But like for me, I mean, so much of my initial motivations, like I wanted to run the half marathon, okay, and then I ran ten of those. I wanted to run a marathon. I ran a couple of those. Like, eh, I'm kind of over it at least for now. Like, I'm kind of over it that. The nice thing about, it's funny, I actually didn't start valuing the 5k until, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Lauren wrote this piece for runner's world that was all about yeah. like, why the 5k is awesome. We talked about it when she was on the show a bunch of seasons yeah. ago. Um, but <laughs> the benefit of it is that you can race that distance all the time. Like there isn't as much pressure on, like if you're training for a marathon and it doesn't go well, like that's your race. You can't the next weekend, then go try again. Like it's a marathon. Yeah. You're beat up regardless, you know? <laughs> um, But 5K, like if I wind up laying on the side of the road, like, okay, you're good to go a week later. So it's so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's
0: really funny. (laughs) I mean, I want to try that. I want to see what happens.
1: Maybe this is your post London marathon thing. We can try like death. I dig it. Let's do it. I mean, that's
0: the epitome of get ugly.
1: Okay. So talk to me about that, that phrase or like, what does that mean to you?
0: It really does mean you get to a place where you transcend any like all all conscious thoughts of what's going on and you are so hyper focused on what you're trying to do that if there's like you know if you see a friend if you see a photographer you don't notice them you are ugly you are in it to win it you have pain face you are like like it is that is the epitome of like blood sweat and tears you know you lose you lose that like that that need to look outside yourself during a race
1: yeah. Like your ego drops away almost or like your self-consciousness. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. interesting. I mean, that's it's funny. You mentioned before, like people's hesitation to post, you know, unattractive race photos. I love that. Like, I want to see too. the photos where people like they look like they're, you know, they're like foaming at the mouth. Like there's like <laughs> something about effort. Like I said, like there's something about effort that's like very... I don't know, that's really invigorating and inspiring for me. And so this idea of like, get ugly. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the mantra of these races that I'm going to try to do. Yeah, I mean, I stole it from Wazelle. I wish it was mine.
0: And the first time I saw it, Lesko was actually holding it. I mean, I ran the New York City Marathon a month after running Chicago. And like, I knew it was going to be a bad day. Like my hip was really bad because I ran, I stupidly got roped into running a half marathon the week after. Uh, Chicago, which I shouldn't have done. And I told myself I wasn't going to do. And that whole weekend I walked around in flip-flops and not sports bra so that I wouldn't get tricked into running like the 5k or the 10k or the trail race or whatever. Cause I would show up and I'd be like, oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. Then I'm like, oh, you're in sandals. You can't. (laughs) But the night before, like all my friends were like, come on, you're going to be so jealous when you're standing all by yourself. Like you can always drop out. Of course I wasn't going to drop out, but we ran a really, really fun race and I had a great time, but it totally exacerbated the, the blow the blow up in my hip. So when New York came, it was just a really hard day. And we were I did I did the New York City Marathon with this amazing opportunity. It's called the Foot Locker Five Borough Challenge. So we started like an hour and a half before the real race. So we ran the first thirteen miles as the only people on the course. With like police escorts and it was amazing. And we were like there as the women ran by and as the men ran by. And it was just a super special, fun experience. But after we got into Manhattan and I had like 12 miles to go, I wanted to die and quit and leave. And I was in so much pain. And we got to Wazell. They were at like mile 17 or 18. And Leska was holding a sign that said, get ugly. And I was like, in a way, this is that just this is just walking right now is everything i can to not quit right now <laughs> like this is the ugliest i've ever been cuz even my thoughts were ugly like i was knocking myself because i couldn't do better and it was it was a huge reflection of my ego and my insecurity with being there and walking and not being good enough and stuff. It it was it it was a it was a crazy experience, but that was the first time I ever saw it and I was like, wow, this is like this can apply to so many different parts of what we do as runners.
1: Yeah, it's and I mean even like in wider I mean I feel like anything that applies to running for the most part like also applies to life. I feel like every life lesson I've learned (laughs) has come through running. That this this idea of getting ugly, it's almost like kind of giving yourself over completely to something, whatever the thing is. And like not, yeah, like what you said, like when you reach the point where you're not self-conscious and you're not letting the doubts take over, like that just like, like being fully in the flow and being fully present and how rare it is that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, common excuses, if we're going to call them excuses, or just like things that I'd say, especially new runners, but not just new runners tend to say and kind of get your, what your thoughts are basically like real talk, pep talk for like anyone who thinks these things. So the first is this idea that like, oh, I really want to do this, but I'll start tomorrow.
0: Oh, my favorite. (laughs) I still do that. I'm doing that right now with my track workout. (laughs) I sat down for ten minutes trying to figure out how in three days I could get all my workouts in and was like, wait, no, this is impossible. You have to do it. <laughs> and then I was like, No, you get to do it. And I was like, Oh again, here we go. I think I think in the beginning you have to do it. Period. <laughs> like if you if you set a goal to hit a race, which I think is really important, I think you I think you should have an end date that you need to be ready by, whatever that means. I think that's really helpful and then and then forcing yourself to get into a routine cuz I think that's kind of the hardest part especially if you're working a lot and you have kids or a family or friends or a boyfriend or a girlfriend and life is already crazy carving time into your schedule where you are expected to get it done is really 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 important cuz I remember when I was working a full-time job and I like was at work for 10 hours and I you know wanted to have a social life like if I didn't work out in the 60 minutes on this day like it wouldn't happen and then the day would go by and then okay I'll do it tomorrow okay I'll do it tomorrow okay I'll do it tomorrow so I think step one is really like you have to do it find the time make it happen and then you can start playing with the no you get to do it find the fun find the joy listen to podcasts listen to that like let it be your escape but Mm-hmm. i think I think finding the goal that scares the crap out of you for you it may be your first half marathon, it may be your first marathon, it maybe it's your first five k ten k maybe it's a mile. maybe it's just maybe you are trying to lose twenty pounds i I think a lot of the times I shit on losing working out to lose weight. I think it's more you're working out to get healthy and the weight will take care of itself, but I think that's fine, like I think weight loss goals are great i lost I worked out to lose weight and then I just had to find something new to sustain it, but I think. I think you just have to want it really badly and then you have to figure out how to make it happen because sometimes when you want something like that's not enough and that's kind of the most heartbreaking part of quitting. People are, I hate when people say that quitting isn't an option because it is and it's not the easier option and it really sucks when you quit because then you sit there and beat yourself up for months and you just like wallow and it sucks but like you don't really know what else to do because you feel like you couldn't do it quitting is never like, oh, this isn't worth it, whatever, brush it off. It's always you want something so badly, but you don't know how to make it happen. And then it feels impossible. And so you stop.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what you just said about wanting it really badly isn't enough. I think that's like the truest, it's like the truest truth. And it's one of my, it it always grates on me that, you know, if you want it badly enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. When actually, I think the, the reverse is often true. The more you want something, yeah. the more like weird emotional shit you attach to it. And then the more likely totally. it is that you put it off because you're afraid that you're going to fail. Right. So this, yeah. like you, is uh, something else that I wanted to talk to you about and, you know, before we get back into some of the other excuses or like things that people say for me, I have found that the number one roadblock to making change. And I've made a lot of what I would consider to be like impactful, big life changes is always this idea of the fantasy of the thing versus the reality of the thing. And the more Mm. that you want something, the more you've probably been fantasizing about it, maybe for years, right? Like this is what it would be like to run a marathon or to write a book or to do, you know, whatever the thing is. And then the farther and farther that gets away from reality. And then the reality is different than the fantasy. And then you quit because it doesn't measure up, right? That like wanting something really badly, (laughs) it's almost like a double-edged sword, right? That this idea of like, I'll start tomorrow, it just increases the level of the fantasy. And then I think makes it harder when you actually have to do the reality of the thing, which is beautiful in its own way, but is never going to look like the fantasy looks like I'm it's never going to be, you know, the people on the cover of magazines who are like not sweating and like totally everything's perfect. Like, no, like disgusting when I'm running. So yeah, (laughs) I think
0: that one was something that I learned in my personal life that carried over into running, you know, like especially with, with what I do. I kept saying like, oh, once I get to this place, like it'll be easier or like it'll be less scary and traumatizing and, and I won't wake up in the middle of the night afraid of, you know, this and that and the other. I'll have this amount of success. And then when it started happening in my running, like, oh, once once I can do this, like I won't feel as insecure in front of people or I won't feel like I need to apologize, And it's just not the case. Like sometimes you just have to learn how to unapologetically live your life, and to you know pat yourself on the back when bad things happen, and and you do fail and feel disappointed, and then you just you know figure out okay what can I do today? Maybe I'm not going to do my tempo run exactly the way I want. Maybe I'm not going to be able to run three miles, but I'm just going to get dressed and get out the door and just start walking, Mm -hmm. and go from there.
1: Yeah. Something else that I hear a lot have felt myself and I know is something that you've talked about too, is the struggle that people have with this idea that like, well, I'm not a real runner or I'm not a real athlete or just, you know, maybe it is like imposter syndrome. Like you said, what are your thoughts around that now?
0: So many thoughts. I struggle with it so much. It's so funny because I still don't think of myself as an athlete. I don't know why. I, I, and I, I, I feel so insecure when people ask me about it still. And I, I think it's different. It used to be a lot worse in the beginning. And in a way, like, I feel like you have to, like, earn that badge of honor the same way I felt about running. Like, even after I ran my first marathon, people would be like, oh, so you're a runner. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I ran a marathon, but not very fast. And not really. I'm not really a runner. (laughs) What am I doing here? But I think that's just owning your shit. I think it's about feeling proud of what you did, regardless of the outcome, and saying, yes, I am this thing. It's just, I think I think sometimes uh, it comes down to identity and letting something that feels so foreign be a part of you is really, really, really difficult. And I, I always tell people who struggle to call themselves a runner, like, just give yourself time. Be patient. I hate when people are like, you are a runner. Like, if you run, you're a runner. And I'm like, just give them time. Like, let them go through it and figure out what that means to them. Everyone's experience is different. I don't know your background. If you, if you, you know, so so many of us, me and you, like we were never athletic. I, I think it. I think the most meaningful things are kind of the things that we really struggle with and question and grapple with, and and then when we're ready, in our own time, we accept it. And I think that's a part, an important part of the journey. Like I think, I think deep. I mean, I know I'm an athlete. <laughs> I I run for a living. I'm an athlete. I think it's it's my own. And it, it, I think it just is letting my artistic side marry my athletic side because all my life I've been told they're separate. I mean, look at High School Musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think I think with time, it's not going to be an issue. I'm, I'm going to laugh at the time that I was so like,
1: bah, I'm not an athlete. Yeah. But this idea of patience and yeah, so much of the Motivational or trying to be motivational, you know, jargon or advice or whatever, especially in the fitness industry, a lot of it to me seems to be really aggressive. That's like, so if, you, aggressive. if you run, you're a runner. And I mean, I've probably said stuff like that myself, like, because sure it is true, right? Like, and it comes from a good place, but change takes time. And when you're talking about, you know, unlearning habits or beliefs or behaviors that have been decades often in the making, right? Like that doesn't just happen overnightly because you went for a couple of run walks, which is awesome. Get started, do that. Right. But like, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden your entire identity shifts. Like it's, you know, I do believe that there's so much power in our thoughts and how we think about ourselves and talk to ourselves. But I have found that I really can't think my way into a new way of behaving, but I can behave my way into a new way of thinking and believing.
0: Totally. And I think we just need, we need yeah. to remember it's marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all these brands that, that are that are really selling to these people who went through it and who have already like fought that fight and won. That then, and then they're like, yeah, yeah. But then there's this new crop of people who are who are going through it, and they look at that and they're like, will they ever get there? Ah. But it's patience. It's life. Life takes so much time. So 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 much time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's really learning how. I, one of my one of my really good friends. She gave me like one of the best like analogies for me with my life and when I'm struggling with identity and stuff. It's like dragging all like if if your entire existence is in a suitcase. It's pulling that suitcase into the room and unpacking it and not touching anything. You know, letting everyone see everything for what it is. Not feeling the need to like brush something under the rug or hide something. Just being comfortable with everything as it is and that's really difficult to to acknowledge that like I don't know how I feel about this or like this is what I'm struggling with or I I don't I don't know how I feel about this because we all feel like we need to know the answers
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean just this idea that like stuff takes time and that's all yeah. right like it like we are so obsessed with like Quick results and things happening fast. Right. Or like happening according to like whatever our arbitrary preconceived timeline is. Like I I mean, I even think back, it's been I mean, it's been a while now, but thinking back to, you know, from the day that I tried to run and could barely run for two minutes to when I ran my first half marathon which that was my impossible even as i was setting the goal and training for the goal i'd never believed that that would happen like it just felt Me like too. completely impossible and it took it took 6 months it was yeah it was what like 24 weeks whatever that is and even that like that's a long time when you look at like every single day for this whatever what 160 something days like it's a, yeah. it's a long time and even that is like 6 months in the course of a long life isn't really a long time but that i think a lot about just that change is possible if we're willing to let go of the way that it looks as it's happening. Like for me, taking that year and a half break from running was really interesting in a lot of ways. And coming back from it was really interesting because it was almost like I started running again last September. So it's, you know, it's been some time now, whatever, almost what, like six months again, that it's the same and totally different as it was the very first time. Cause like the, the benefit of the first time is there's so many quick wins, right? Like every yeah. week is the farthest you've ever run at some point. Right. Yeah. So whereas like coming back to something was like, well, <laughs> like it's almost like I put off getting back in shape because I like, I know, I know how it's going to be. <laughs> like, totally. it's going to be hard. But like for me, basically the talk that I had to have with myself was, what if it's just fine that it's like miserable for 12 weeks? Like, and it was like, I will tell you, it was like, until you get to a base level of fitness where you don't want to die every single time, it's awful. And I mean, I don't know if that was your experience, but that was definitely my experience. Oh
0: yeah. Uh, I always tell people to celebrate every win. Like, so there are some days where getting outside and going for a walk is a win. mm -hmm. Like, like on Tuesday, I had a really bad, that tempo run that I totally set myself up to fail on, like was a bad run and it was like finish and celebrate that you did it. Yes, you could have done 800 things differently, but whatever we didn't we didn't stick to the excuse of I'm in Miami, I want to go to the beach and drink with my friends. No, you <laughs> made it happen and you knew you had a stupid lunch that was going to be a problem and whatever, you did it, it happened, it's behind you, the end. And then like moving on. If you get outside and you run a mile for the first time in your life like please stop and like dance and do something like scream it from the rooftops like celebrate yourself nothing is too small or too in like insufficient to say like hell yeah I am the best
1: yeah I agree with that like building a habit of self-celebration I feel like sounds really it's one of those things that's simple but not easy like it sounds easy but everything in our (laughs) like culture and setup is, I feel like against that, right? That it's so easy to diminish your own accomplishments.
0: We're so quick to name all the things we hate about ourselves or all the things that we're disappointed about, but we'd never stop and be like, I just totally rocked that interview. I am a champion. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to like stop the subway and, and like tell everyone how great you are, but you should Take time every single day to like look in the mirror and name things you love about yourself or really build yourself up. Like if you write something shitty, you can you can knock yourself for that, but then you can be like, but you know what? I did it. And I do have something to say, and this will get there.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's one of the things, like I obviously I said this before, that the kind of core value of mine is this idea of honesty and especially being honest with yourself. And I think people often misconstrue that as being able to like tell yourself the hard things, right? That it's like being honest with yourself, it almost has like a negative connotation, like not lying to yourself about the things that you're really not good at, which like is also true. It's definitely a part of it. But the other side of it is equally important if you're going to be really honest with yourself and if that's something that you're committed to and kind of having real talk with yourself, whatever that looks like, it has to go both ways. You have to be willing to sit through the discomfort of actually, this is awesome. And here's why, or, you know, this is something that I did today. That's great. Or it's this idea of that's again, going back to social media about like authenticity and like, you have to be authentic. I think that has turned into kind of like buzzword for not being afraid to talk about the things that are hard, which is awesome. Right. But we don't really put, I think, enough emphasis on the way that authenticity can also mean the opposite, which is like not being afraid to talk about the things that are awesome, right? Did you read Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes? I did.
0: Oh, when she talks about accepting praise or like compliments, it's something I really, really, really struggle with because my, my social media existence is really built on being liked and like having people say really wonderful things about me all the time. And- in a way, I don't read comments and stuff because I just don't think it's healthy to have so many people be like, thank you, you inspire me, and like, oh, you're so – like, yes, oh, yeah, you're great. Like I, It makes me uncomfortable, and I get all these emails that, that are amazing and wonderful because they're these people who are going through stuff. And I'm so grateful for them for opening up to me. But for some reason, I get so uncomfortable whenever anyone says something nice about me. And I'm like, "Where do I put this? What do I do with this? It's like a hot potato that I want to get rid of really quickly. And reading that book was like, wow, I struggle with this so badly. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I have... um a folder in or like a tag or whatever in my Gmail um called warm fuzzies and <laughs> when i get emails like that and i tag them into that and 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 then if i'm having like a hard day or on the heels of cuz we always take criticism like way more to heart someone could say like f- there could be 50 nice things right yeah. but it's the one not nice thing that then you like can't eat for Cry. 3 days yeah. but and then i'm like no no you go to your warm fuzzies folder and oh. like it's it's really nice it's really helpful so anyone who has sent me a kind email ever if you were listening it is in the warm fuzzies folder and thank you <laughs> I know, and anyone who emails
0: me, the reason I take three months to email you back is because I don't know how to say thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, okay, so two last stories that I would like to hear about from you. Tell me the story about um, taking the selfies with the hot guys during the race, the half marathon.
0: Oh, it's so funny now because people don't know that was me. Like I've I've really like distanced myself from it enough that. I have other pillars to stand on, which is cool. But I think a lot of people, there's a lot of, there's a big portion of the running community that wants me to apologize for it, which drives me insane because I still think to this day that it's freaking hilarious. It's so (laughs)
1: funny. So tell the story. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, So I was seeing this guy in New York and we were about to break up. I was about to break up with him. It wasn't going well and I was really upset about it because I liked him. But it wasn't right and I needed to break up with him. And we hadn't seen each other in a while and I wanted to see him that weekend because I wanted to break up and he didn't want to see me. He was kind of like, oh, I'm really busy and I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go watch my friend run the New York City half, some girl. And I was like, what? You know that running is my favorite thing in the world. Like there's nothing that would bring me more joy than making a funny sign and banging a cowbell. So I was like, screw that. I'm going to run this race. So I, I, I mean, I think I was also in the grips of that winter depression we were talking about and I hadn't trained at all and i was still a new runner i'd only been running for like a year and a half so i i bought a bib on craigslist and i was sitting down to dinner with my sister the night before and i was like sam i really don't think i can run this race like i don't i'm i don't i don't think i'm going to be able to finish and she's like whatever just try you know who cares you're really doing this for you you're doing it cuz you want to feel better and i was like yeah i guess so I show up and I'm standing in my corral and it's like 20 degrees. It's freezing. And my amazing sister is standing on a street corner with a sign <laughs> because she's the greatest human being alive. And I wanted to make her laugh. So I took a picture with a hot guy behind me and I sent it to her. And she was like, she was dying. And she's like, she's like, do this the whole race. And I'm like, okay. So I, I did. And it I think because I wasn't ready to run the race, it distracted me. And I was laughing so hard. And it I mean, it wasn't really a hot or not contest. It was really just it was just me making funny jokes and so I finished and my sister was like we have to do something with this this is so funny let's make a BuzzFeed article and I was like no that's not this is this is just whatever it's stupid she kept bugging me about it and so I made it we went to work the next day we worked together and she was like we're doing this we're making this a BuzzFeed article and I was like no Sam it's not that funny and she's like yes it is We're doing it. So she grabbed another one of our coworkers and was like, Justin, we're doing this. And Justin was like, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. So he did it. And I was like, okay, well, if you guys are doing it, like I want to have a hand in it. So together we all did it and we posted it. And I posted it on my, my Facebook wall and my friends like totally blew it up. They all shared it. And so because they all shared it, that's what blew it up. And like literally two hours later, Good Morning America tweeted at me and we're like, can we do an interview? And so it was a really slow news week that week, which I think helped it going viral. But the next thing you know, I had friends in like Germany and London
1: and stuff being like, Oh, my God, this is you. That's so funny. Yeah, I'll link to the article. It's really funny. It's basically just a series of you like, taking selfies during this race with like unsuspecting dudes, like attractive dudes behind you. (laughs)
0: It was it was just a silly joke. And it I mean, it launched my blog and really formed a really big part of my career which is crazy to think that something as silly as selfies with hot guys can
1: uh again you create- never know you never know where yeah. things are gonna lead so. it, was,
0: it was crazy it was it I mean I still think it's hilarious and I still meet people who are like why don't you do it anymore and I'm like I just don't think it's very funny anymore we did it for so long
1: So the other thing that I wanted to hear about before we start to wrap up, um, is the sports bra squad. Tell me about that. Sports bra squad. It's, it's
0: easily the most, the one thing that I'm so incredibly proud of because I still can't believe that I'm brave enough to run into sports bra, even though it's been months and months and months. But I think for, I think I would be lying if I didn't admit that, you know, like I really started running with the hopes that I would lose, you know, 20 pounds. This imaginary number that I had told myself that if I could look a certain, this like this this woman that I that I created in my brain, if I could acquire this body, I would feel beautiful and desirable and good enough to be seen in a sports bra. So I started running, and then I ran a half, and then I ran a marathon, and I still didn't look like a like a stereotypical runner, which always kind of bugged me. And I kept running, and I kept running, and then I started training for Boston, and I was working harder that I'd ever worked in my life and my body was changing like I I looked really strong but I would I developed this terrible 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 habit of getting dressed and looking at myself in the mirror like I would put like you know shorts and a sports bra on and convince myself that I could never be seen in that outfit so I'd put you know capris on and then I'd put my sports bra on top on and I'd go run and this summer was just in New York City it was so hot like it would be six in the morning the sun would just have risen and it would be like 92 degrees with like 80% humidity it was horrible and I I have a, I'm pretty busty so I was chafing like none other like I had sweaty shirts on and like I every day I would come home and I would be bloody and one day I went I had like a 15 mile long run and I had a little like tempo workout in the middle of it like I had to hit certain paces. And I was a mile in and I was like, I'm going to die if I wear this shirt. It is so hot. Like I'm going to do it, whatever. And I was filming my vlog. I I videotaped the whole like trying to qualify for Boston thing. So I had a video camera with me and I explained like I'm so uncomfortable, but I'm, I am I just, I can't, it's too hot. Like I'm going to run in my sports bra. So I put it on on Instagram. And I just started reading the comments and it really blew up with people being like, I, I could never do this, or like I'm with you. Like I, I, I could never, ever, ever. I just I'm too insecure to run in my sports bra. And so I thought, what can we do to encourage other women to like shed their shirts and their insecurities, and to just and to do it, like re- redefine what strength looks like? Because honestly, like I never, ever, ever see women my size. I'm like an eight ten. I never see larger women. Not to call me large, but you know, like girls who aren't your your stereotypical you know slim slender strong runner wearing a sports bra and because I never see that that's kind of why I told myself that it just wasn't something I should do or be proud of like it's it's just this underlying insecurity I have so we launched the sports bra squad and all of a sudden people women started posting themselves doing it and why they were doing it and or how they struggled to do it and it it just turned into this movement of redefining what strength looks like and showing a, the, the diversity of runners with different bodies and athletic builds. And it doesn't matter if you're a marathoner or a, someone who runs a mile or a 5k or a 10k, or if you just run walk, like it's all about being healthy and being the strongest version of yourself and being proud of the skin you're in and really owning your body.
1: Yeah. I love that. Um, I feel like that's a good place to start to wrap up too. And, um, anyone who wants, they can like find it's a hashtag, right? So lots of people are engaged in yeah. this project, which is awesome. Um, so the way that we end these episodes are with what we call community questions. So, um, it's questions that real talk radio listeners want me to ask all of our eight guests of a given season. So I have nine kind of random questions for you. If you are down to answer nine random questions, I am ready. Okay. If you could only watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what show would it be?
0: Oh, God. I'm not a huge TV person. Oh, Oh, What am I watching right? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I just watched Game of Thrones. Oh, it's so good.
1: Yeah, I am not a Game of Thrones person, but I think I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people feel that way. (laughs) I just watched it for the first time last month. I watched the entire thing. So that would be your forever show. I love it. Forever and ever and ever. Forever and ever. Um, Okay. Of everything that you have spent money on in the past few months or the past year or whatever, what's the one purchase that has made you the happiest or the one thing or experience that you're most glad that you spent money on?
0: I went to Disneyland with my best friend and her family and we went on this crazy lavish trip and it's... I was a billion dollars, but I'm really glad we went because I'm all about experiences. And there's something about being locked away with your favorite people and not being able to leave for a couple of days. That's just pretty fun.
1: Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, (laughs) What's something that only those in your close inner circle know about you? Or what's something that you think maybe everyone that just knows you through social media would be surprised to learn?
0: I'm really shy. I'm really, really, really shy. If I'm in a room where I don't know anyone, I'll stand in the corner and hope that no one sees me and talks to me
1: which is not at all what I would think from following you on social media. So yeah, that's a good one. I like I'm it. Super, super, super afraid. Um, okay, <laughs> Always. so s- speaking of fear, that leads into the next one. What's something that you're not doing right now because you're afraid?
0: Uh, going for my track workout.
1: <laughs> Isn't it funny how even after years of experience with running that the, f- the like, pre-workout fear?
0: Uh it, and it, it's like we said, it's no one cares. <laughs> it has nothing to do with any of my success. It's just a silly, I'm just running.
1: For me, I feel, I was literally thinking about this the other day. And I feel like for me, the pre-workout fear is a fear of discomfort. Like yeah. I know that it's going to be not painful in terms of like the injury, something's wrong type of pain, but like a workout, done well, like in order to, for you to get better, it has to hurt. Like you almost have to want it to hurt, right? Like that's yeah. how you grow. And I am, I mean, I don't like being uncomfortable. So that's where Once the fear I comes get from. Once going, it'll be okay. It's totally getting
0: there. That's really hard. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, completely agree. Um, okay. Next question. What's one song that you always turn up and sing along with when you hear it?
0: I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. Oh my God. <laughs> Could that have been a that faster answer? Gem. I love it. <laughs> I can't
1: put it on my marathon playlist
0: because I will blow any goal I have to like stop and be like, ah,
1: dance and (laughs) sing. That's amazing. Uh, Okay. The next question. What's something that you really love about yourself? I think my
0: my, uh, sense of humor that I I don't take myself too seriously Mm. is...
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, there's Valuable. It's, it's clear from your kind of writing your work that you value just like laughter and silliness. And that's something that I think is underappreciated.
0: I'm a firm believer in being a weirdo.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, okay, so next question. Tell us how you typically spend the first hour of your day. What's the first hour usually look like?
0: I wake up, normally I ask myself where I am because I am always in a different city. <laughs> I try to figure out what am I doing here? And then I'll check Instagram and my email and Twitter and Facebook. And then I'll try to figure out if I can go back to bed for 20 minutes. And then I'll get up and find a coffee. And then I will watch Jennifer Hudson's Carpool Karaoke (laughs) every day. (laughs) And And then I normally start writing. I force myself to write for the first hour after that.
1: Um do you have anything specific with your writing process? Is it like on the computer? Do you write by hand? Is there music on? Like what does the writing look like for you?
0: Uh most of the time it's on the computer. If I'm if I'm feeling very like introspective, I'll write by hand on a piece of paper that will just go in the trash. But normal normally if I can kill two birds with one stone and write something that will get me money, <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> but but sometimes I just need to to just jot some thoughts down. I also am the queen of like blowing up my notes section on my phone. Oh my god, so, same. Like, same. If you could read some of the thoughts <laughs> I have on my, it, I I in, in here in California it's really bad because I'm driving all the time and I'll listen to a lot of like like Breen Brown and stuff <laughs> and I'll just sit there and like talk into Siri as I'm listening to this podcast. I like, can try to type while I drive, which is illegal and dangerous, and like don't don't do it. But. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that doesn't make any sense, but I wish did.
1: Yeah. When people ask about like any would you rather question that has to do with like, you know, people reading your like internet search history. I'm like, listen, you can read my internet search history all you want, but my notes on my phone are mine. Like, that shit oh, you can read down. them. You probably won't understand them. I don't understand them. Oh, man. Okay. So the next question is about books. Which two to three books of any genre, any type of book would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you reread or recommend the most? Code of Confidence, Mm -hmm. Year of Yes,
0: and then what? there's a third, there's a third book that like totally blew my brains. I have this huge, I, I love to like get books and then send them to all my friends and everyone has to write in them what they took from it. And you can write like this book was not for me, but there's like 10 and I can't believe I can't think of any of them right now.
1: That's Can such I send a it cool to you if th- I find th- it? Yeah, that's such a cool thing, though, of sending like actual books to friends and they write stuff in them. I feel like women need to stick together. And I have a huge network
0: of ladies that I'm like,
1: we need to be strong women. And they're like, shut up. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, please put me on that network. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah. If you think of anything else, I can totally add it to the show notes for sure. Um, Okay, so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action right now, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take in the next week. Speak out.
0: We're like, what's going on in our country right now is not normal. Don't be afraid to 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 act to like actually start conversations on Facebook and say like, you know what, I actually don't know what's going on. Can someone fill me in? And then to to approach everything with a we don't we don't know the whole story. You know, don't believe everything you read.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like read stuff that you don't believe. Get just figure out all different types of opinions and points of view because our country is so big and you know we have so many different religions and so many different like ways of life that there is no right there's no no one has all the answers so it's important to 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 challenge your faith
1: yeah i love that so what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online do you have like a favorite way to connect
0: um instagram and twitter are normally the best if you want an answer from me twitter's the easiest Kelly K.K. Roberts is my handle um, on on both or Twitter. Okay. I mean, Instagram is just if I post something and things blow up, I miss stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay. Twitter, like my following's not that big. So I always see everything. Awesome. Well, I will put links to all of that. This
1: was so much fun, Kelly. Thank you.
0: Oh, this was wonderful. I wish I could do this all day.
1: <laughs> all day long. Every day. The best. <laughs> and that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. So if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new stuff added every single month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight-episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.